Welcome back to the Proud to be Staffs podcast, this time with a slight twist. So last time we had the lovely Dan on with us, who's a Staffs alumni, and this time we are joined by one of our brilliant honorary doctors. So the whole plan for this podcast is where we get to have great conversations with great people all linked with Staffs. So my name is Sam Evans, I'm the Senior Development and Alumni Relations Officer at Staffs, and I am joined by the brilliant... I'm Jenny Amplett, I also work at Staffordshire University. And today, our guest is very well known in the local area, is obviously an honorary doctorate of staffs, mentions that red and white are, funnily enough, their favourite colour, which will all make sense in just a moment. But what I'll do is I'll get our guests to introduce themselves, if that's okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Angela Smith. I'm an honorary doctorate, very proud honorary doctorate from Staffs Uni. Brilliant. And uh, Angela, explain to anyone that may not understand why red and white is your favourite colour. Well, if you come to Staffs Uni, not far away is the best football club on the planet, Stoke City. And I'm a big fan of Stoke City Football Club. And you do a lot with Stoke, don't you? Yeah, I'm general manager of the women's team. I've been chair of the supporters council, do a lot of work for the community trust and I'm an ambassador for the club. How long have you been with the club? Um, Well, really prior to birth I don't think I had much choice but um, I've been with the club for about 35 years Wow 35 years that's a very long time Yeah I've seen the highs and the lows seen the Premier League I've seen some low division stuff but uh, like every football fan you you have to experience the highs and the lows and, and you just keep supporting your team Which is a very 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 good point on there So you say obviously since before birth you had no choice which obviously means you're local and proud as well um, so where is it that you are from locally, Angela? Um, I'm from the centre of the universe, which is Bucknell, um, not too far away from this university. And um, I am actually very proud to come from Stoke-on-Trent. And I try and uh, push the, the great services that we have here, the great industries we have, and, of course, this university. And what we haven't said yet, of course, is that you're from Bucknell. You're, you're from right in the heart of Stoke-on-Trent. But you've been on the world platform for sport, haven't you? Tell, tell us a little bit about your, your squash. You were the first woman's professional squash player. Is that right? Yeah, yeah I was. I, I started women's professional squash. And I started women's professional squash because I was fairly successful as an amateur. And I got up one day, uh, played the final of a tournament in Wales, got presented with a cheque, and the cheque was a cheque to use in a local department store, which we didn't have in Stoke-on-Trent. So I then had to think creatively, do I spend another night in Wales and pay for the hotel, or do I try and convert this cheque into pounds sterling for me to use back in Stoke-on-Trent? And I uh, did a bit of entrepreneurship there, got a little less than it was worth, and decided I can't keep doing this. If I'm going to keep playing at the top level, then I need to earn money as well. So I, I managed to sweet talk three Australians to turn professional with me. We started playing exhibitions around the country, then around the world. Then more people thought, oh, yeah, I might have a go at this. And so professional squash started. And you are, were the world champions. Yes, I was, and uh, won the world championship with Great Britain and England too. So, uh, listen, I, I had a very lucky time in so much that I didn't get injured. And you, you have to think about that. I, I would suggest anybody that uh, normally wants to be good at sport always have something to fall back on. Because if you get injured or if it doesn't work out for you, you've got something you can do. And I'm, I actually trained to be a teacher. Thank the Lord I didn't have to teach. I'm sorry if anybody wants to be a teacher, but uh, it wasn't for me. Um, apart from the holidays, which aren't as great as you imagine, because you have to work in the holidays. But for me, it was great. Squash was great. And the most important thing was I saw the world. And although I'm very proud of where I come from, while I was playing professional squash, I spent more time out of the city than in the city. I've lived in... New York, I've lived in the Bahamas, I've lived in Barcelona, Hong Kong. So 
education in terms of learning in a university is brilliant, but the education of life by travelling is also equally good. And of course, when you go to all these places, you've been able to take the Stoke-on-Trent message with you. So you're a really proud ambassador for obviously this university now, but also for the city and for the county and all of these countries around the world. Yeah, whenever I've lived overseas, I've always been there in transit, really. Stoke-on-Trent will always be my home. And it's really important, I think, that people learn what what Stoke-on-Trent gives to the world. One of the places I've been most frustrated, believe it or not, is in China because we obviously turn plates over if you're from the potteries to see where they're from and nearly all the stuff there is made in China and it it, uh, makes my blood boil a bit because our pottery is much better than anywhere else in the world. But yeah, it's just, it's it's a very creative city, Stoke-on-Trent. And I think it's really important that people realise that we get a bad rap because we're in the middle of the country, we're between Birmingham and Manchester, and people think, oh, it's just a place you go past on the M6 or or the A500, and it's not. Most people that come here, for example, that play football for Stoke, they they stay here, they live here, um, or very near to the city, and the reason for that is the people are the salt of the earth and probably some of the most friendly people you ever meet. I'm not sure if people in the city and, um, you know, in Staffordshire realise how big you are in China. You're really famous in China, aren't you? Come on, don't be humble. Tell Um, us about this. I went over to um, play squash in China and while I was there I got asked to take a portable squash court to a school. I took it to the school, went in for a drink and and a guy there asked if I could get uh, some football coaches over. Well, being from Stoke, I obviously then did the put Stoke City hat on. Yes, of course, no problem. Didn't realise how big a problem it was going to be at the time. But uh, we got over that and Stoke have had an academy in China for 10 years. And because of that, I've become quite well known in Shanghai, probably throughout China, and uh, was lucky enough to have a TV company uh, film me here in Stoke-on-Trent. And they filmed you in various locations around the city, didn't they? Yeah, also going up and down one set of stairs, as you know here, for about 15 minutes. I know every stair intimately. <laughs> but Very it was nice, Seth. Of oh, the best, the best in I the mean, Catalyst building. Say no more. The Catalyst building rules. Stairs are the best in the universe. Um, but it was it was great for me, and I think it was really good for the city. And as you've seen, it's been um, it's going on Sky later this year. It's been throughout the Chinese press, and uh, it's been a big privilege. And of course, you've met some, I mean, famous yourself in, in China and obviously in, in the UK. You've met some incredibly famous people. I, I want to ask you about Jackie Jackie Kennedy. Didn't you teach her to play squash? Yeah, um, I, I lived in New York for a while. I was the um, player coach there at the place called the Vertical Club in Manhattan. And uh, one day I got called into an office by a guy called Stephen Smith, who was the head of the Kennedy Empire, and told that I would be coaching Jackie because it was the place to be, the vertical club where I was working. I was told that I couldn't make a run, couldn't make a sweat. And, you know, Angela Smith from Stoke-on-Trent had no concept of what this was all about, to be honest. I was a young kid at the time. And along she comes, and she was one of the most stunningly beautiful women I've ever seen in my life, and also a really, really beautiful person. We went on the squash court. She was in a pink suede tracksuit which didn't really lend itself to squash but she just looked the business and and I coached her and uh, she gave me a tip of $50 which was immense in those days but signed it Um, and I gave it to my mum and dad and they were so proud of it it was on the wall of the house for a long long time but yeah I met her Vitas Girolaitis who some people will know was a very famous tennis player uh, Jimmy Connors people like that it was um, it was really good the rule of like not making her run or sweat because I'm not quite sure how that works in squash trust me if you're wearing a pink sort of pig swing outfit you're going to sweat anyway but um, I didn't make a run we we uh, we made, made it look quick shuffle just yeah. a quick shuffle yeah it's fine but she enjoyed it and um, 
I think it's probably the most photographed person I've ever seen in the world. I mean, there were literally hundreds of photographers there and TV. I don't think I'm on any of the clips, uh, but she was... Uh, it must be so difficult for anybody in that position, even now, to, to live with that amount of press coverage. It's horrendous, honestly. Never heard so many cameras going off at the same time. It was it was something to behold. No privacy? No, none at all. There. None at all. And am I right in thinking you actually started off playing tennis? Yeah, I used to play tennis in Hanley Park, just up the road, and I started playing squash because we had a dreadful summer for rain, and uh, Northwood Stadium, not too far away from here, had three squash courts built. My mum had actually seen it in the evening paper, and uh, we were walking past on the way home, me and my mixed doubles partner, and we went in, and there wasn't a soul about, and we saw these three pristine white sort of buildings with a balcony, we couldn't find anybody, so we went on. I'm ashamed to say this, but we went on with uh, two tennis rackets and two rather wet, soggy tennis balls, and they make a right splat noise when they hit the wall, and they also leave a mark. And this lady came over the balcony. She was in charge of the centre at the time, and uh, she said, I'll get you a cloth. Um, you can wipe those marks off. So we sort of sheepishly wiped the marks off, but told off, and then she gave us two squash rackets and a squash ball, but never told us about having to warm the ball up. So for the first five minutes, it was like a piece of lead just rolling along the floor, but we got the hang of it, and we booked the court for the following week in case it rained, it rained again, and me and my mixed doubles partner decided that we'd book it every week, and he became a very good men's player, and I became an okay women's player, so it was... Uh, I think slightly more than an okay. Well, well yeah, but... <laughs> uh, champion. It, uh, it was... Uh, it was luck, really. If it hadn't been a bad summer, I'd never played. Olympics wasn't an option, was it, for No, you? Olympics still isn't an option. It's got into the Commonwealth Games now. It didn't when I was playing. Um, I, th- I think it's really tragic for, for squash players now that it, it doesn't look like it will ever get into the Olympics. And the, and the reason given is it, it doesn't televise well, but yet most other countries in the world have squash on. It's on Sky. It televises pretty well. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. It isn't for the one to try and people pushing it. I think if, if you ask me what my biggest regret was, it was that I couldn't play in the Olympics. That would be a great one to watch, though, because it is quick-paced. And if you if, if you don't quite get it right... It, it's painful um, so it's that part I would have thought thinking of some of the, the sports that you can watch through the Olympics and through the Commonwealth and things like that that to me would be would be great to watch yeah listen we've, we've done all the discussions we've talked to all the people we've tried and tried we were so close not so long ago and we'll just keep going because if somebody puts up a brick wall you try and knock it down and if you can't knock it down you try and go around it so we'll not give up good um, we've got more and more games coming along though that might get in before us something like pickleball or paddleball which is becoming very very popular in america there's a hundred thousand people waiting to get on the court now can't even get on courts in america for pickleball and paddleball if anybody's listening that's an entrepreneur and is at this university because we have a very good course for entrepreneurship here i would suggest you try and look at uh, getting some pickleball or paddleball courts in this city you make a fortune it's wonderful I have no idea what either of those are. I will be Googling after this recording is done to yeah. find out. And also to see whether or not our sports um, lot have already got that on their, seriously, on their radar. Seriously, it's, it is the sport to get involved with. It's a very simple, very simple uh, game which squash players look at and think, wow, that's a bit easy. But it, ca- it captures the imagination. And if you haven't got much time and you, you're not athletic, it, it does... It, does what it says on the tin and you get a good workout you're with people it's socially acceptable you go in the bar afterwards just look at both the sports up and you'll be amazed how many people are now backing 
paddle ball and pickleball. Angela, do you still play squash? Not much. Um, the reason being, I actually don't have that much time now. And also, um, I think you should know when you're way past your sell-by date. Um, I'm very competitive, and that's the worst thing for me. If I feel that I should have got the ball and I don't, I tend to still then go out and train and run and try and sort that out. But I try not to play now because I am overly competitive. And I guess the football's taking up so much of your time, isn't it? Yeah, it, it does. Um but that, you've got to do something else as well. I, I mean, I tend to run. I, I run every day apart from I have one day a week off. Um, and I run with a couple of mates or on my own, and then that's not quite so competitive. Having said that, they'll be laughing if they listen to this because I, I never want to finish behind either of them. But once you've been a competitive person, I think the best thing is to know you sell by date and get out and don't play. When I first stopped playing professionally, I got asked to continue to play in local men's leagues. And I started to play in the leagues and, um, how can I put it, I started training again just as hard because I didn't want anybody that locally to beat me. So I, I, I didn't really feel like I'd retired. And yes. then I thought, I've just got to stop doing this. So I stopped. Do you find you're competitive in other things as everything, well? Everything, yeah. everything. Every single Pop thing. quizzes and... <laughs> oh, yeah. I hate losing at anything. And even, I mean, you'd think being a Stoke supporter, I would have stopped being quite <laughs> so worried about losing the way they've played the last couple of years. But I'm not. I'm competitive in everything. I was absolutely mortified when we lost to France in the in the World Cup semis quarters. Sorry, I wish it'd been the semis quarters. And um, you you look on, and you just I can't explain how disappointed I was. Even though you can't have anything to do with it, and and that's what happens with really competitive people. They I don't think you ever change. Is it the sports mentality that you just move to other areas of your life? Yes, I think. it's been proven hasn't it that if you're competitive in sport and you're you're decent at sport then you can there are transferable skills that will will get you in other areas and I would say for me the one thing that I found about squash is being good at squash opened doors for me in in the rest of my life Um, Angela Smith school teacher would never have seen as much of the world as she did Angela Smith school teacher would probably never have worked for Stoke City Um, so so it's um I would say to anybody that's competitive, take all the competitive nature you have and the good points and, and move that into your professional life. And that doesn't have to be sport. That could be anything, yeah, couldn't it? Yeah, sure, anything at all. And and you look at people who are good at jobs, inevitably um, they're competitive too. And then you look at certain sports people who've, who've uh, maybe not quite made it in their sport or have made it and then retired, and you'll find that all those skill, skills are transferable, um, the way people interact with each other, the confidence it gives you, the fact that you want to get to the top gives you that ambition and that drive. So it, it's great. We have so many alumni that have followed exactly that route because they've been professional football players. That's been a a huge one. And then they've had the foresight to think of, well, what's next? You know, whilst they're still playing and, you know, so many of them have gone into broadcast or have, you know, set up their own companies or they've had this entrepreneurial side to them, which thankfully they've had and they've used those skills and, and that passion that they've had, you know, being a sports person to then move on. I think one of the most important things is that you realise before you finish, as you've said, that there has to be life after your sport. And in professional football, for example, there are players who think they're going to make it and they either have an injury or they don't quite make it. And they've got used to a certain lifestyle and they can't keep that lifestyle. So then they go on what's known as the sporting scrap heap and, and they 
get through life however they can or, or they turn to uh, doing things they shouldn't to try and maintain their lifestyle. But if you're sensible enough and if you realise that however good you are, it isn't going to last forever and you plan for life after sport, then as you've said, it's really important and you can transfer those skills into your into your future career and, and you can cite many people from from this university who've played sport and have gone on and thought okay well I've got a degree now I'll park that now and and then after I've finished my sport I'll go back to it or as you've said they set up a company in the in the beforehand and then come back to it and revisit it after they've finished playing their sport we've got so many elite level students as well that are playing um you know and that have gone to the olympics and that are, you know are doing that alongside their studies and it's you know how they juggle it i will never know um because it's it's so much to you know it takes so much to be at, the, at that elite level as well as being on top of everything else but it is planning ahead now you're already doing this as well not just obviously we know the footballing side of what you do but to do with squash you are looking at pathways yes we we are actually and i've been trying to work with the university um it's quite obvious that there are certain squash players that want to continue helping with squash but don't have the business acumen or the qualifications to coach or the business acumen to build a center um and we're trying desperately to get that those people more interested so that when they come towards the end of their career that there is a pathway that they can they can go on to and Staffs Uni are one of the people well it's the only people we're talking to um, to try and make certain that that pathway exists so that as they transition from out of their competitive life they, they have a chance to stay in the sport and continue in another way and that, that doesn't just have to be for squash it can be for people that have played football who want to then either stay in the in the sport as a coach or as a physio or as a sports masseur it, it's very different than when you've competed as a player or in a team sport of any nature and then you come to the end it's there's a big hole to fill and I've got many colleagues that have played sport with before who just never thought it was going to end you, you always think oh I'll carry on a few more years or oh well I'm different to them and it isn't and all, all of a sudden you're not that big fish in a small pool again and you've got to start again really and it's a big shock for some people and they can't cope with it so if anybody takes anything out of this podcast it would be to plan ahead and for whatever you do whether it's sport or whether it's business always plan ahead so that the transition from what you're doing at that time isn't as painful as it might otherwise be that that's perfect on the idea of that because it is all about transferable skills planning ahead looking at what is next because we also don't we all don't know what's next do we you never know what's around the corner especially in sport because you know hopefully you don't end up with an injury or you don't have something that causes that that moment of, of stoppage but you know and again we've got graduates that have gone through that that have had a you know a, a career ending injury but thankfully they had that to fall back on now for you obviously you started off with your your teaching which I know you didn't want to be a teacher and obviously you've not done that but that's had skills that you've you've taken with you and that's what you've taken into Stoke because you know you've, you've still you still travel a lot don't you with yeah I do yeah um, I've, I've probably spent less time travelling in the past two years because of COVID. Before that, I was in China every every other month for two two or three weeks, um, and I got to know the plane timetables a bit like a bus timetable. So it was it, that in itself it takes a toll, and 
if you plan your trip, you can die of boredom on a long flight, as you know, but uh, you can also watch films, etc. But I used to try and do some work as well. Um, and, and if you plan your time, whatever you're doing, if you plan so that when you get off a plane or, or when you go to a business meeting, you're all prepared, it helps you because you've got everything set in your mind. And I also believe that being good at sport or playing in a team environment helps you with your confidence. And I think you can knock down many doors by, I won't say bluffing, but being more confident than maybe, it's a bit like the duck, you know, the feet are going mental underneath or the swan underneath the water and looks serene on top. But if you've, if you've rehearsed what you're doing well enough, just as you do in sport, if you practice in sport to, to refine the skills that get you to be where you want to be, if you do that in business life as well, so you rehearse and rehearse and you know what you're going to say at a meeting or you know how you're going to respond to certain questions, then I'm sure you'll get to 95% of the places you want to be. Our team has been described as that swan many, many times. Yes, yeah, I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> Angela, you're seen as a bit of a sort of women's sporting icon, really, you know, a woman well, who's really very sort of kind of, yeah. well, you have, you know, someone who's achieved a sort of pinnacle of success in your sport, you know, that the highest achievable accolade. Do, do you feel a responsibility with that for, for other women's sports? Yeah, I do. Um, One of the reasons Stoke City asked me to be the general manager of the women's team, uh, trust me, it wasn't for my football inability. Uh, It was because I'd really created a women's sport in squash and gone through all the pitfalls and and bashed all the doors down when people uh, really didn't want to to have women playing professional squash. Um, And it does help you in other circumstances. And you, you learn from those errors you've made before or the problems you've seen and the people the, there's been a whole host and there still is don't let anybody kid you that women's sport now is completely accepted throughout the world and you, you look at the lionesses winning the euros that's done a huge amount for women's football and for women's sport in this country but then if i, I don't want to be controversial but then if you look where the men's world cup has just been in Qatar and they have a women's team and that women's team hasn't played a, a game for eight years uh, but that's all very kindly put on the back burner so there's there's lots of things in women's sport that still need to progress and you're going to have cultural differences as I've just mentioned in in Qatar but for those of us that have played sport before I believe particularly in the female side I believe you have a duty of care to to your own female athletes who've gone before you or coming after you I mean the lionesses I'll, I'll explain about those because they've been a success in the summer you had people that had played when football had just come back from being banned and those women that played those early matches right up to the present day have got the sport to where they are and now the lionesses need to carry that on to take it forward for other people there are kids now in primary school who want to be professional women footballers because of the likes of Liam Williamson and and all the players Ella Toon and all the other players that have done well there are people that play squash that now want to be professional squash players there are women cricketers that want to be professional cricketers and we have to now make it even more accessible and easier for women in all sports whatever they are to have the right to play whatever they want to play is it important to use your voice both to motivate young sportswomen but also to tell the sort of wider population why it's important for women why women can be every bit as good at any sport as a man well i don't think just think it's sport i think women can be as good as men in anything in fact i think in many ways we're better but that's for another <laughs> podcast um yeah, I think it, I think if you don't do that, then then uh, you're letting yourself and and whatever area you represent down completely. 
So is that part, I mean, before you said it, I was thinking to myself, yes, or better uh, when it comes to um, that. But it is, we add so much to the dynamic of, of what's going on so whether that be sport whether that be in the in the office you know the it's all about climbing that ladder isn't it and making sure that we've got equal opportunities for all so whether it's you know whether it be gender specific or whether it be you know anything else it's we're all great at what we do and we all add value to what it is that's going on so uh, you know you, you mentioned there about obviously the lionesses how one of them was working in a coffee shop and in between doing that or doing their day-to-day normal jobs whilst you know you have yep. you know in other industry or when you know in the, the male equivalent that is their day job 100 percent of the time yeah you you just talked about jill scott was working in the coffee shop yeah. jill scott's just done um i'm a celebrity and won it alex scott when alex scott first came here to university she was incredibly shy and didn't know if she could do it and look at her now she's fronting all sorts of shows and, and that's thanks to Taking the plunge because you're competitive, but then people in positions of influence, like here, her tutors, her lecturers, um, giving her the confidence to be what what they saw in her. And now, if she looks back, I'm sure she's eternally grateful to people that work with her here at Staffs Uni. It's that massive part, though, isn't it? Because she had that she had that chance to grow and to grow this side of her that she, she you know she might not have realized existed you know, she was so good on the on the football pitch but then looking at it from that and then how that's then grown yet still because she's a woman the elements that are criticized about her aren't usually to do with her ability to you know talk about the game or, or you know to present as she does but it'll be about her accent it'll be about what she's wearing it'll be about something that isn't specific about her journalistic integrity I think in the world of social media, which we live in now, uh, it's virtually impossible to uh, get unscathed, whatever you say. That everybody, there's instant reaction, isn't there, to anything you do or say. I think you. one of the things that competitive sport teaches you to do is to um, isolate the 15 bad remarks from the 150 good remarks. It's difficult at times, and I think the hardest thing is when somebody comes out with vile sexist remarks about people um, they wouldn't do about men. And unfortunately, you have to learn to live with that. I do a bit of work for the BBC and um, on Stoke, and, and I find it amazing some of the uh, direct messages I get on, on Twitter or social media, and I think, wow, I wonder if you'd have said that about a bloke. What's and your it, answer to that? How do you I, I, don't, I don't answer them, because I think uh, trolls want the oxygen of publicity, and I think the minute you don't give them anything, they'll, they'll go off and start at somebody else. I don't believe it doesn't hurt anybody, but you learn to live with it, and you also learn to not say some of the things you might otherwise said off the cuff. You, again, if you can have some training on it, and Alex Scott has changed dramatically as a presenter from when she started. She's far more polished because she's been in those situations. I, I suspect Jill Scott will have a great uh, post-football career now because she's obviously got leadership qualities and she's a very nice person, and she will have had to get over all sorts of nasty comments made about her, but Women aren't put on this earth to fit the mould of men, right? Women are there to forge their own path and their own relationships and, and their own life. So I think one of the biggest problems you have is when you try and fit the mould or, or, or if a male colleague wants you to fit in and be the way they would expect it to be. As you've rightly said, there are so many pluses in, in working together and, and we should um, not 
equally balance things, but the, there's a different viewpoint that women have on some things that, that perhaps is better in a certain situation and the same with a man. But unless you're allowed to breathe and be yourself, you'll never get the harmony that we should have in, in working places. So don't, 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 if you're a female listening to this, don't just fit in a mould, be yourself. That's wonderful advice. Can I take you back to Stoke-on-Trent? Obviously, mm. you've been... You go to China a lot. You, you've been on the world stage, achieved the pinnacle in your sport. But you're still here. You still live in Stoke-on-Trent. Why? T- tell us why you, you've chosen to stay here. I feel more comfortable in Stoke's my home. I was born in Stoke. I think a lot of people will tell you that... Uh, you'll know from your own university entrance here that a lot of people from Stoke come to this university because... Not only financially may they be able to stay at home, but it's the people, it's the place. You're comfortable there. I, I know that there are people that laugh at me when when I say Stoke's my home, and it always will be, and they say, but you've lived out of it longer than you lived in it. But I will always have a home in Stoke-on-Trent because it's where I feel most comfortable. And just coming into a place like this today, you feel welcome, you talk to people, there's no airs and graces. I, I quite often laugh. You can go into, for example, dare I say London, and you can say hello to somebody in a, in a shop, and they'll look at you as much as say, what are you talking to me for? I don't know you. Whereas in Stoke, somebody will have a conversation with you. I think they're really warm friendly people and um, I just don't think there's anybody better anywhere in the world. You're very close to, to the football ground as well aren't you? Yeah well I mean I wouldn't like to say that that had any influence <laughs> at all but yes um, listen I've lived abroad and, and I've struggled on a Saturday afternoon if I haven't been able to to hear how Stoke are going on and, and that's just unfortunate for me but uh, yeah it's my home. Brilliant and you're an honorary doctor here obviously at Stafford University tell me what that means to you. It's one of the proudest honours I've ever had I was very shocked to to receive it delighted to receive it and um, it will always be up there with winning the world championships as one of the best things that have ever happened to me so thank you very much for that. Proud ambassador for the university aren't you I know when the, the Chinese film crew were over you were sort of talking about the university and the opportunities for Chinese students to come over here you, you, you're banging that drum aren't you when you go out there. Yeah I think it's it's really important that anybody from Stoke-on-Trent or Staffordshire bangs the drum about Stoke-on-Trent or Staffordshire. We should be very proud of where, you know, where we live. We, we've got some great history um, in this city uh, from the first ever Golden Globe winner of football, Sir Stanley Matthews, to people of the greatest pot, making the greatest pottery in the world. We still have great, great, great creative people in this city. Um, and I'm just proud to be from Stoke-on-Trent. And no matter what people say about this place, until you've lived here, you don't know how good it is. Do you think we don't sing our praises enough? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. We're we're too inward looking. As uh, we have so much to be proud about in this city, including this university. And you only have to look how this university has grown and the Catalyst Building and everything planned, the entrepreneurship course that's going on now, all the creative work we do in this city is brilliant. And I don't think there's anywhere better in the world. You're very proud to be staffs, aren't you? Very proud. I think you mentioned in there about, obviously, the people in Stoke and the fact that you can say hello and it's, you know, we will have a conversation with absolutely anyone. We just um, are friendly like that. But the amount of people we've got that come from out of the area, maybe visitors once, twice, and after that, they want to stay, they want to keep coming back, and, and they usually decide that they are an honorary stokey don't they 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 are a, a part of us once once you've once you've been and then that's it and then it's it's everyone returns um, but i think 
we're close to the point of actually uh, wrapping up um, on this one. Perfect timing. Um, so obviously, Angela, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you for asking me. You are our first honorary doctor that has been on for our new podcast, Proud to be Staffs, which means obviously you've, you've set the bar high for any of the honorees that come through after you of um, showcasing just how proud they are and how much Staffs Uni is, is a part of them. Well, listen, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you for asking me. I'm honoured to be the first person. And if you're listening to this, just remember, it can only get better. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you both. The Proud to be Staffs podcast series is brought to you by the Development and Alumni Relations team at Staffordshire University. The interviewers for this episode are Jenny Amphlett and Samantha Evans, and our producer is Alex Molly-Hewitt. The music was created by Will Davenport. 